and welcome to Ultimate, where we deep dive into Earth 16's Hin, the Ultimate Universe. I am your host, Eddie, and I'm here with my co-host, Henry. The Ultimate Marvel line is a piece of Marvel comic book history with a bad reputation, and Ultimate is here to see if that rip is justified. Taking on 15 years of comic book history is no mean feat, but we, your brave hosts, will delve into what's made this universe unique, from the good to the bad to the dear God why. <laughs> so, how you been, man? <laughs> yeah, Before yeah. Good, good, good. Lots of lots of changes, lots of good things. <laughs> How about you? No, just busy, like just work, just the work anything. I was gonna say, what's been on your comic call this week? I feel like just general general comic call. <laughs> yeah, so as probably any DC readers know, it's night terrors <laughs> at the moment. So not a big pull list. Uh, I have the latest um, Jeff Johns Just uh, Justice Society. Yeah, no, issue issue five, I think it is, which is pretty good. Um, bit of a Justice Society binge lately, just because I've been reading um, my massive uh, compendium of Starman, Starman Compendium One, which has been pretty great. So a bit of a star, bit of a kind of Justice Society binge at the moment. How about you? Well, what have I been reading? Um, mostly, I've been keeping up with the Fall of X, which is the current X Men yeah. run, and I've talked about like we've we talked about it before how. When all, all the marketing, it's, it's the real big problem of marketing comics, which is like obviously when the previews and the spoilers and stuff come out. And then there are quite, there was some things where something like an event called the Fall of X feels like. So the current age of X-Men has been really, really good in terms of creating this really fully fleshed out like world for mutants to inhabit. And then everyone's seen the Fall of X. and everyone, I think the big worry was, is this all just going to go away and the X-Men are going to go back to being at a school and fighting evil mutants because to make, make people like them. Yeah. And the fall of X so far has been fantastic. Like every, every book, like I read what I read, the, um, the children of the vault came out this week and what was the other one that came out? But yeah, the children of the vault was fantastic. Um, yeah, as oh, and Immortal X Men, Immortal X Men this week. Immortal X Men has just been consistently one of the most amazing books. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we've kind of our pull lists are going in the opposite directions. My <laughs> past couple of months or this month is shrinking. Yours seems to be getting much larger. Yeah, but speaking speaking on X Men and schools and the X Men, um, the issues we're covering this week are on Ultimate are. The first volume of Ultimate X Men, um, Ultimate X Men, so it's the Ultimate X Men numbers one through to six. I guess, Blake, before we get into, it, I think what we're taking a new approach to the Ultimate Summary section this week, which is going to be that we're going to try and go through the go through the kind of summary points and then just have our discussion as we go through. Um, we're just testing out different things at this point in time, so it's nice. And you know, once if we get any feedback about which format people prefer, we're kind of happy to continue on with one or the other. Um, but before we kind of get into like our summarization set of things, what were your initial thoughts? Like, I guess going in like, cause again, it's the kind of thing about you haven't read Ultimates really before mm. the Ultimate Marvel stuff before. What were your thoughts going in? Yeah. So I guess this is the first one where, um, I'm actually like super into the characters. Mm. So last time we were doing, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Yeah. yeah. So Ultimate Spider-Man, um, I'm not a big Spider-Man guy. I think apart from obviously the Raimi as a kid growing up with the Raimi ones, I think I may have mentioned that last time, mm. the Raimi films, which were, which were a big, big part of my childhood. 
beyond that, never been a big Spider-Man fan. I guess I haven't really even read a lot of Spider-Man comics. Mm. I think maybe the odd... I think I've, the, the, the one issue I had as a kid was like one of the <laughs> many issues of the Clone Saga. Mm. But, um, but, it, but there was... Uh, so those things were like X-Men and Fantastic Four. I've always been a DC guy, but... X Men and Fantastic Four have been a were also a big thing for me. Always loved X Men. Yeah, love Fantastic Four. Read a lot of the Claremont uh, X Men stuff as a kid, primarily. Um, maybe a few. I think I've got a few to do with Jim Lee. Um, you know, the art in the nineties. But beyond that, like you know, core stuff, which a lot of people have read. Um, so that you know, I have some background knowledge going into this more mm. in-depth background knowledge. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it gave me a little bit of nostalgia just because uh, <laughs> it's around the time of the X-Men films, after the X-Men films, Yeah, because this is interesting because I feel like Ultimate Spider-Man comes out before the Raimi film, the first Raimi film. But then Ultimate X-Men comes out after the first X-Men yeah. film. And I think, and it's so Mark Millar, Mark Millar's got on record being like, really read X-Men. I don't really know much about them, but I just kind of saw the film and I liked that. So I tried kind of drawing on that aesthetic and basing it off of that a little bit, mm. which I think people, a lot of people criticize him for, but I reading this again, I think it makes sense and it kind of fits that kind of sleek aesthetic that was coming up between the X-Men film, obviously the kind of black leather um, Grant and Grant Morrison's X-Men, new X-Men, which again was a very kind of slick, <laughs> sleek, kind of reinvention of or re reapproach to the X-Men. So I think this is very much within the trend of where X-Men comics were at the time. Yeah, I guess this also goes against the other trend because, I mean, what is it? Um, next two episodes, I think, not next episode, but the episode after we're going to be talking about Ultimates and we'll be talking about the influence of the comics on the screen. And I guess mm. here's the reverse. And also um, it's the first time we're talking about that because last time with Ultimate Spider-Man, they were kind of simultaneously in production. Mm. Uh, I think the bouncing around the script for Spider-Man for ages. Um, there's some similarities, but that's probably inherent with Spider-Man Origins anyway. Um, but this time it's definitely influenced mm. by the screen. Yeah. So, so interesting dynamic. And yes, yeah, so, so my thing, my intro to so Ultimate X-Men, this volume of Ultimate X-Men is pretty special to me because mm. like this is the first, one of the first comics I owned. So what happened was when I think for my 14th birthday, one of my mates at school, his dad collected comics and gave me this first volume of Ultimate X-Men. So it's one of those comics, I still it's a, I have it at home somewhere, but it is like, it's one of those books that has been kind of fundamental to my comics journey. And But what I find really interesting though is when I went back and read this, I think I've got like a slightly altered version like I wonder if it's a different publisher or they took out something that wasn't like some of the bits that weren't as kid friendly and so I feel like I've got like different editions of it but I, I might be wrong I might go back and be like oh no everything's here but I remember there were certain bits that I felt kind of didn't kind of fit Mandela effects maybe <laughs> yes that's true <laughs> yeah but yeah I think like and but my overall kind of thoughts going back and, and rereading is yeah, like I, I really like it. I really like the lineup of characters. I think they're all revamped and given new origins in a way that I really like, with the exception of Storm. And I think part of that is because Storm is one of those characters who is such a quintessential black character that 
I think I think is one of those characters really hard to kind of do alternate universe takes on because that prime kind of main version of Storm is so iconic. Yeah, I also think probably as you're talking about if his only influence is the films. Uh, I mean, Halle Berry's Storm was. She was just Halle Berry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with you know nice cloud powers. Mm. She I know that she's very powerful in the the main continuity Storm, but it, it, we hadn't we weren't really demonstrated that in the. Mm. in the films for example and there wasn't a lot of stuff to do with their origin as yeah we have to think what was it 2003 yeah 2003 was ultimate X-Men. yeah uh, yeah yes no 2001 yes no because yeah. it's pre so it's very short after because the the x-men movie was 2000 mm. um so it's one of those things where uh, I guess very influenced with the first one which was very Wolverine centric yeah and there wasn't a lot to a storm so I can kind of I can kind of see why she'd be not as in-depth. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I think let's get into the ultimate summary because I think yeah. my, other, my other point I wanted to raise I think works well within our, the flow of our episode. That's true. So. <laughs> but yeah, so we're just going to go through, bounce bounce back and forth, do an issue each way until we've covered off everything. But do you want to kick us off? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. So yeah, so issue one opens in Los Angeles. Uh, this is where a squadron of mutant hunting robots, the the Sentinels, of course, conduct a raid on a busy street. Uh, here you can see kind of one of the main drivers of this plot where they're killing several, kind of hunting and killing mutant civilians. Mm. Mm. I think for me, this is one of the things I, I think worked really well in terms of how it outlines this kind of human-mutant relationship. And I think... So one of the big things that I think people really like about the X-Men is the mutant metaphor, which is yeah. the idea that mutants stand in for like marginalized groups. And it's why X-Men is so big amongst a lot of kind of queer readers or readers of color. Yeah. But one of the failings of the mutant metaphor is that mutants are inherently powerful and are inherently dangerous. Like it's the point in time of like, as a black person, I can't project energy from my eyes. <laughs> and I think there's this sort of weird thing, but I but I think what happens is that this this setup, this is this is the first issue, like the first panel is essentially the sent like a sentinel, which is this huge, like kind of 30 foot foot tall robot, stepping on like a black civilian who's yeah. identified as a mutant. And then the follow-up is like a news report being like, oh well, the Sentinels conducted a raid and broke up a cell of radical mutants and I was like I think they were just all just walking down the street like yeah and I think what it does is it sets up this idea of mutants as like it, it sets up this kind of mutant persecution in a way that in a context that doesn't necessarily have the same allegorical spin to it it just goes no this is a very this is in universe this is mutant persecution and this is how extreme it is mm. and this is the extent where it's like okay there is actual murder that just justified murder in the street <laughs> yeah i think i think i'm yeah i agree i think it's for me it does feel like the natural end point it feels like i my main criticism with ultimate spider-man mm. so my main criticism with ultimate spider-man is it felt like it could have been intercontinuity uh yeah. it feels like there isn't a lot different and a lot different they've done they've just kind of rehashed an origin not rehashed but they redid it modernized it but it's not like in any radical way mm. um, that I think that we, and then, you know, it's the same with uh, kind of like Batman year one, right? You could have had it as semi in continuity, semi not, yeah. but be the definitive origin. You could have just had 
you know, you you mentioned last time, we mentioned last time that that Ultimate Spider-Man wasn't seen as going to be this next big thing. Mm. Um, and it only developed into that after its own kind of big thing. And I'm like, I can see that. It could have easily been in-universe. I think here it's something where it is different. There's, uh, you know, obviously there's the in-UX-Men. There's yeah. the... That the obviously opening issue of that, but I mean we haven't really seen it where, yeah they're just going around hunting and killing mutants. It felt mm. different. It felt kind of edgy and fresh, and it's one of those things where, um, I think it is radically different compared to the main universe and kind of justifies its existence mm. in that respect. Because I think in the within the main Marvel continuity, I, I think part of the part of the kind of setting is is that there is this kind of general, like there's, you, we're told like, and it's in the sixties, we're told that mutants are kind of a persecuted group, mm. but you don't really see it. Like it's very much just said like, you know, and it's very much a kind of, oh, there are bad mutants who want to hurt people and we've got to protect people from them. Or segregation. Yeah. Yeah. But then what happens is, is that I think in main continuity up until probably the Krakoan era, or maybe, maybe the last 20 years, it was very much, you get these kind of patches of, where you where the, this mutant metaphor was really hammered home. So the big ones I can think of are Days of Future Past, which obviously is this kind of apocalyptic future where mutants yeah, have been essentially wiped out. And the other one is God Loves Man Kills, which is a really which essentially is essentially it's a clan story. Like it's a religious fundamentalism. It's a story of lynching, but using mutants as a way to kind of unpack that. And I think, but in a way that obviously the violence in the way that is very kind of extreme, but obviously hammered home with a point, whereas this, I feel like it's part of that setting just from the get-go. So maybe it's it's still horrific and horrible, but it's, it's positioned as something that's very, very normal and kind of the, the, the baseline that we kind of work from. Yeah, I think also uh, your what you were talking about before about the extreme stuff about the having a go, you know, going for mutants, the metaphor and killing those, those people. Mm. And then basically saying, yeah, they're, what was it? They're, they're gathering this dangerous gathering. And it's like, now they're just walking down the street. <laughs> I mean, it, it's also makes sense with the queer metaphor. I mean, at the moment we've seen more extremist views and stances on tra mm. you know, transphobia, um, you know, a lot of, you know, trans against trans violence has been, um, Hate crimes has 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 risen in mm. countries like the UK, um, and also clearly the, the post-Trump alt-right yeah. movement, which is bringing it more and more mainstream. A lot of these mm. kind of views, which were, yeah, and that's what I think is interesting about this particular sequence is that it is it's in Los Angeles, like it's yeah. in this place, which is, I guess, obviously Los Angeles has its problem, but it's this West Coast, and I think there's obviously this kind of real idea of, you know. LA is, I guess it's this kind of, of this kind of, you know, I guess because of Hollywood, of this kind of quite liberal kind of space, California, California yeah. kind of space in a lot of way. And then it's just robots come down from the sky, identify mutants, and then step on someone, like crush someone to death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I found that it's definitely very different to, mm. I think at the time, I know that we got the Krakoa stuff, but even the Krakoa stuff, those are the X-Men uh, by Duggan. Mm. where they're going around being superheroes in New York and everyone's fine with it. But um, but it is something that I think justifies its existence, just this part here. Mm. Yeah, um, but yeah, moving on, as we're talking <laughs> about with news reports. So then we have news reports, which kind of 
talks about the state of mutant human relations. Um, yeah, the, and the Sentinels, here it gets revealed that the Sentinels are a kind of new initiative by the US government after a series of mutant terror bombings by Magneto and his Brotherhood of Mutants. I think what we should do is, let's keep moving through, and I think when we get to Magneto, when we'll do some Magneto discussion when we get to, yeah. like, Magneto's... Yeah, proper, I mean... Like, proper first appearances. True, but I guess here we can talk about the fact that when I got to this bit, I mm. thought... I genuinely thought this must be post nine eleven. Yeah, because yeah. it's I from my reading, and this is someone, you know, twenty years plus twenty twenty something mm. years. Um, I made me think of the invasion of Iraq, the over the kind of idea of uh, these mutants. You know, these mutants have done terror bombings, and then you think about the Islamophobia that 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 did after that. We got after nine mm. eleven. Um, if you you remember. Growing up in a post 9-11, your childhood, it's our childhood. And there was a lot of Islamophobia. And I think that it felt like this was a very like clear metaphor about that. Mm. That this is me reading it now in 2023. I was like, you know, 2000s, you know, this must be early 2000s. This mm. must be... You know, like a post 9-11 reading on... Like, yeah. On, on the Islamophobia. But the reveal, you you told me... Yeah, essentially this this comes out in February of 2001. So it comes yeah. out well before 9-11. And I guess the thing, and in, from that lens, what I think it ends up being a kind of a metaphor, not an metaphor analogy, but I think then what the comparable system becomes is it's the kind of lead up into 9-11. Like, and I think people mm. forget like there had been, you know, there'd been a previous attack on the World Trade Center. There'd been bombings by essentially what became like Al-Qaeda and some of those and some of those fundamentalist groups. There'd been attacks on US interests globally yeah. prior to the September eleven attacks. And yeah. that's probably and that's what kind of leads into this. And I know like we've talked about like Grant Morrison's New X Men, where the first issue ends with the Genotian genocide. And then that again predates nine eleven. But I think that's that sort of thing of you often hear a lot of writers talking about even though 9-11 hadn't happened we kind of knew something was going to go wrong like we kind of there's yeah. like and part of it might just be cultural zeitgeist to kind of what the, the general feeling and vibe of society was but then it's also like there are these very tangible things that show the progression that led to something like the September 11 attacks yeah I think it's a little bit like I remember at the time growing up and even questioning like what's what's like Iraq or what's mm. Afghanistan got to do with <laughs> got to do with the 9-11 bombings, you know, when you think about it, because funded by mm. uh, the Saudis, you know, et cetera. So it's, there's a lot of political things here, and it was that kind of Islamophobic. And I think that it felt like this was, you know, these small mutant groups that's unconnected to all mutants mm. in general, uh, but we're going to take it out on all mutants. It felt, it felt, this felt like that's what it was about. And as we're talking about, it wasn't at all. But I guess, yes, yeah, it's, it's a good point about the feeling as well, because I, I believe that um, the meeting between Clinton and Bush, uh, 2000, when he was leaving office, as they, they usually do, the, the, oh, the hangover, person. yeah. Yeah, he mentioned, was he mentioned that the next one of the, he tried to warn Bush that the next one of the big, um, seen as the big, threats against American interests is going to be intra, uh, you know, intra national groups rather than, than mm. national state groups, intrastate groups such as Al Qaeda, etc. So, I mean, I guess that, so it must've been something that was mm. talked about is what I mean. Um, 
So yeah, that's 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 interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, moving on. I guess this is this is where we we get our introduction to uh, Hank McCoy, a kind of a different yeah. d- different than what people have been seeing for a long time. Um, he here he possesses a an ape ape like features, strength and agility. Um, we we see him in a San Diego dive bar. Uh, he is then he then fends off several anti mutant patrons at the bar and is approached by Jean Grey. Yeah, Jean Grey here, she uses her telepathic powers that we all know, um, and she uses that to get uh, get Storm out of out of uh, the out of jail because at the moment she's she's uh, yeah, in so lock up. Yeah, yeah Storm, Storm's see introduced her. as like a car thief. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, th- and then we move on because here it seems the first issue we're primarily being introduced to the main cast. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and next next is is uh, we we see Rasputin, Pyotr Rasputin. P- yep, Pyotr Rasputin. Um, and here he's a Russian mafia enforcer, purchasing nuclear weapons, which which goes wrong, uh, transforming his skin into organic steel. Lamenting that his mutation is now out in the open, being uh, Jean Grey comforts him, bringing him into the X-Men. We then cut to the Xavier Institute. Uh, Here, the X-Men are decked out into their new uniforms, very reminiscent of the films, uh, very leather, and they all get given their code names for the first time. Storm, Beast, Colossus, and Marvel Girl, the leader of the team. Uh, Scott Summers Cyclops is also introduced. How do you find what? What did you find about all these these introductions to these this particular team? Because I feel like, mm. again, even though we'd say we talk about drawing on the movie, the movie didn't necessarily deal with like the movie team was Marvel Girl or Jean Grey, Cyclops, Wolverine, Storm. And then kind of Rogue and Iceman as kind of side characters. I think was Iceman wasn't he introduced in the second one? Maybe he was. I can't remember. Oh, I can't. Maybe he was in the background. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, no. It, well, in that one, the the ones they introduced are the ones that are new to the team as Wolverine and and um, Rogue. And I do think that there is a similar kind of thing here where they ha- get given the code names and they make mm. jokes about it. So there's a similar thing there, but it's primarily Wolverine. The others already are established and older. Mm. I guess it's the kind of new ones coming in. Uh, Wolverine being Wolverine, he comes in later. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I liked it. it. It kind of feels like a um, a heist movie with the way that in heist movies, one of the conventions of a heist movie is that you you kind of put together the team. Yeah. So I think it was kind of going through that kind of convention of putting together a team, uh, finding them all in different points, having different strengths. So yeah, I found that I found that interesting, but um, a little bit different, but still mm. a lot of the same beats, I think. I think the standout to me was probably Colossus because, and again, it leads into what we were talking about before with this idea of very clear mutant persecution and what that means. Because essentially, like Colossus is he's a, like working for the Russians, he's an arms dealer. You know, the person he's doing this trade of like a, I think it's like a suitcase nuke. This trade goes wrong because the client essentially takes the weapon and leaves him like fake money and then tries killing him. And then in defense, he's, he turns into the super strong man made of organic metal, made of metal. And essentially you soon and defend himself in these kind of, these people who's been dealing with escape. 
but then he's sitting there like crying like Hayley's just like this is this is it like I'm this is my life I'm dead now like yeah. that that's the reality that he's saying it's like I am now openly out as outed as a mutant this is kind of it there's not really much I can do anymore and I think that is like another little bit that really clicked to me of like okay this is the status quo for mutants like mutants know if you essentially if you come out of as a mutant it's kind of over like you the rest of the chance that you're going to get picked off by a sentinel or something like that have now like your life expectancy isn't much long isn't it yeah yeah because i think we'll, we'll get onto that when mm. we get onto iceman um because that is something that feels like a constant theme about being outed and feeling like your kind of life expectancy has gone down to zero <laughs> um but yeah this is this here when we get through the introductions and the new students we we meet professor charles xavier Xavier, of course, explains his life mission, which hasn't changed too much compared to main continuity of achieving a peaceful existence for mutant kind, as well as his former relationship with Magneto, uh, which we also, again, is not too different, um, you know, which here has also resulted in paraplegia. Um, Xavier demonstrates his Cerebro system, which allows him to track mutants, just like the film. Mm. Uh, which he uses to determine the X-Men's first mission, recruiting a young runaway way mutant, Bobby Drake. This leads to the X-Men and their confrontation in Times Square, where they successfully uh, rescue Iceman Bobby Drake from a group of Sentinels. However, the team is pushed to the limits of their powers before a Sentinel can crush a group of civilians. Bobby... Drake's mutation activates, uh, revealing himself to have ice powers. He freezes the robot in a large block of ice. A group of bystanders uh, attacks and drives off the team, despite them saving them. Um, yeah, and then, then here we get our, at the end of the issue, we get our kind of our first reveal of Magneto, where he is. He's in the mysterious Savage Land. Uh, he's watching the footage of the events, recognizing that the X-Men are Xavier's students. He murders the arms dealers who failed to acquire the nuclear weapon from the Russians and dispatches his top assassin, the killer, known only as Wolverine, to infiltrate the X-Men and eliminate Charles Xavier. I think that, to me, like that introduction of Wolverine, I, re I really like that idea of, because we all know at the end he's going to become, join the X-Men. Yeah. But there's like that's the thing, you know that, kind of, but I think it's a really good way to position Wolverine in quite an in a different way, is this sort of thing of, historically, like the movie kind of does it, that, you know, it's kind of quite random that they kind of find him and then he kind of is kind of, and he, you know, it allows him to be the bad boy. It allows him to be like the kind of rebel who's not kind of quite involved. But then also like in the comic, it's that sort of thing. He's Wolverine's brought in as part of this kind of second team of mutants of the X-Men. But he's, again, there's, it's just kind of brought in. And I think this is a way that kind of sets up this kind of intermutant kind of politics as well in a way that also means like you get to kind of see that progression. You get to see that change. Yeah, I think I liked him as being a, a hitman paid for. Uh, he's a, a for hire killer. I thought I thought that was very cool and very in character for Wolverine. I guess different enough with him, kind of dark in a way. Mm. With him, infiltrate supposed to be infiltrating and killing Professor X, but I think, but still kind of in character. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, no, I liked it. Cool. So we're on to issue two. Um, issue two opens with Wolverine arriving at JFK um, Airport in New York and being captured by the US military. Um, and then kind of there's kind of split where it's like then we get the X Men kind of training and then what we get shown the Blackbird, which is like their supersonic jet, like their super jets, like the X jet. <laughs> um, and you get some of the kind of the, the team dynamics where you get Beast and Gene kind of discussing their kind of relationships with Storm and Cyclops, which I think is, again, like part of what X-Men's kind of about is this kind of soap opera drama as well. Mm. And I think it's kind of, at least you, you at least you kind of see those little bits in of soap opera drama in, in early. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, because it's something I've always generally been not so attracted to with the, I guess, not, not so interested in in a lot of comics. I think one of the reasons I haven't read a lot of Spider-Man comics is a little bit too much. But I think it works with this interpretation of the X-Men here because they're kids, right? Mm. It's a high school. That's what happens. I think it's something where um, kind of angsty teens, you know, teens, and they all develop <laughs> relationships. They're in a school. I think it fits to have that. I mm. think you know um but yeah i think that's that's something that they kind of did well and kind of works well with the yeah. aging them down because this was all kind of making them all school age and yeah they're you. all kind of somewhere between probably 16 and probably 20 would be the yeah no that's true yeah. around school age counting you know university yeah. and everything university high school that kind of thing and then kind of building off that then xavier summons his kind of students to him and then sends him on the mission to rescue wolverine who has been captured um and we kind of get Wolverine's backstory where he's part of like a former, he's like a former part of a Pentagon kind of black backed black ops unit that you was using mutants as soldiers. Um, and then we kind of go on and we see that Wolverine has been captured by Weapon X, who are his old controllers, and that someone had tipped off that Wolverine was arriving in New York. Um, he's tormented by John Wraith, who kind of talks about how they to essentially, it's, it's pretty grim where he, they're talking to, like between these kind of soldiers about how they used to torture Wolverine because Wolverine has a healing factor. So it's the sort of thing of like, you know, you could do it like we could do anything. You could just do anything to him. You could like burn him. You could pour acid, you like run acid over him. That sort of it was it's really grim. And then talks about how he's looking forward to essentially wiping Wolverine's memory and beginning that whole process again. And I think from a, from a Wolverine standpoint, I think that fleshing out, I think the really cool bit is the new, all the newer cast are like, who, who's Wolverine? And then Cyclops, Marvel Girl, and Xavier kind of have this backstory or have that kind of record. And I think the idea was that Wolverine, the last time, the only proof, only evidence of Wolverine is this photo from like the Gulf War where he was being deployed as a soldier. And I think, it, again, it comes into this sort of thing where it's like you build in this mutant persecution thing. It's like you build in these specific mutant persecution points where it's like where people are persecuted as mutants and it's that sort of thing of well obviously it makes sense you have these people with superhuman powers use them use them in conflicts use them as your black ops teams yeah and i think that kind of and again it draws that kind of i guess that kind of use by the state kind of side of things yeah definitely and i think it also creates a historical context to the x-men where I feel like, again, that thing, that's the other thing I think, I like it creates a historical precedent for how human-mutant relationships have happened. Like, this is obviously something that's happening in 2000, but it gives at least a sense of, okay, here's some of the history of what mutant kind is going through pre prior to that. 
And then so building on that, so the X-Men successfully attack the convoy, transporting Wolverine. Um, Wolverine kind of, they free Wolverine and then he chases after John Wraith and like scars his face. Um, and then you get your kind of typical like Wolverine stopped by stopped from killing him. Like Jean Grey essentially uses her tele telekinesis to stop Wolverine from murdering this man. Um, and then the kind of issue closes out where Magneto, with Magneto again, where Magneto reveals that he was the one who tipped off the US about Wolverine's arrival because of the he was like on the idea that Xavier, while he may not have used Xavier as quite naive and um, altruistic, he says Xavier's not stupid enough to kind of accept that Wolverine would just show up on his doorstep wanting to join his team. You had to set up a way for Xavier to invite Wolverine in. And the issue closes with Magneto talking about his kind of next plan, which targets the White House. Yeah, so I'm saying that here we're talking about Magneto. Do you want to get into a bit of background here? Yeah, I think, so I think the first kind of point of Magneto, I think, is he's a very different Magneto than I think what people's conception of Magneto is. And it's partly because, and I, there's a really interesting thing that people always talk about, you know, the, the comparison of Charles Xavier and Magneto, where, you know, Xavier's the MLK figure, M Magneto's the Malcolm X figure. And it's one of the things that's become quite popular opinion, but it's never popular kind of understanding of that dynamic. But it's just not... I, I think multiple writers and a lot of the writers who attribute who get attributed to that dynamic have gone on record saying that wasn't what their intention was. Yeah. And I think what happened is so I went back this morning and I went and read like the first volume, the first like five issues of X-Men from the 1960s. And it's a very silver age. So Marvel, so the, the, what are the, what are the, the ages of comics? There's the bronze, age, the silver age, the gold. Oh, so the golden age is the it's, 40s and 50s. It is silver 50s. age, it's 60s. Silver si age is the 60s. 50s and 60s. Yeah. yeah. Silver age has more. Um, bronze age is like late, late 60s to 70s. Mm -hmm uh such 80s or whatever it kind of depends yeah. but it's it's kind of defined by 50s and 60s there's a lot of sci-fi stuff mm -hmm. as well uh, for example i mean we'll go on to ultimate x-men sorry ultimate um fantastic four mm. but fantastic four is very the early stuff very silver age kind of characters i think x-men are similar as well children of the atom mm. um yeah but yeah so i think the idea of the, the silver age with magneto is like when he first appears is he isn't this kind of mutant liberationist figure he's not this mutant rights figure that he kind of becomes or this kind of he's just this kind of maniacal villain who wants to take over the world and i think ultimate magneto draws on that silver age kind of depiction a lot more and i think again like we've talked about before with grant morrison's new x-men magneto takes on a similar role in new x-men as well where morrison takes magneto back to his roots in the Silver Age, and he becomes this much more kind of monstrous, kind of horrific figure, as opposed to when we get into the 1970s, when people like Chris Claremont start writing Magneto, and he becomes a much more sympathetic, much more, a, a much more sympathetic villain, and then does become someone who will consistently become, will play in that kind of heroic way. And I think that's where we... We can, I think there's another, there's a bit, it's more in like issue five and stuff that I want to talk about with Magneto, I think is a bit more relevant then. But should we move on to issue three? 
Yeah, yeah. So issue three opens with the X-Men in New York City. Uh, here they're discussing their new teammates um, and their experiences at Xavier's. Uh, kind of here going into a little bit more of that team drama that we're talking mm. about. Uh, meanwhile, while this is going on, Wolverine is in the danger room, uh, you know, as as we've seen in multiple incarnations of the of the X-Men, it's a virtual reality training system. Here he brutally murders the X-Men and it's revealed that Magneto chose Wolverine because he is resistant to Xavier's telepathy. The team hears the news reports of how Magneto's brotherhood have kidnapped the president's implied that it is George W. Bush um, daughter, uh, threatening to kill her if the Sentinel program is not halted. Uh, there is some tension within the X-Men as some members recognize uh, Magneto has been successful in halting mutant orders at the hands of the Sentinels. I found this interesting here because mm. it does, even though he is Silver Age, um, Magneto and a lot of the nuances is not there on purpose. Uh, and he is, a, he is a terrorist, essentially. Mm. I did find it really interesting because it is one of those things where... Um, there are they're very extreme the way that they've reacted mm. the us government has been very 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 extreme with how they've kind of basically indiscriminately killing mutants mm. that there is a bit more room even with this extreme version of magneto that these arguments are fair enough within the x-men group yeah we'll see a little bit more of that later but it's one of those things where i think they did that quite well because um the way that they've taken the US one right to the extreme, mm. you know, in the main continuity, it's so clear that Magneto's the bad guy, you know, mm. this version of Magneto, right? He, you know, killing innocent civilians or, or his plan to, you know, is I'm talking about Silver Age version mm. of him slash even the one in, in the X-Men movies as well. Mm. I think at that time before we got X-Men First Class, et cetera. The original trilogy in the 2000s, he's kind of Silver Age as well. Mm. Very, very much like his plan is to blow up humans or something. Yeah, and I think I think what it is is that, and I think this is what we talk about when we talked about before with alternate universes, right? Yeah. The best thing with an alternate universe you can do is it gives you the space to make a character and flesh them out. So Ultimate Magneto ends up being really fleshed out as a character but it's also that sort of thing of like when we talked about like with new X-Men, new X-Men when Magneto goes full villain, like he goes genocidal yeah. and people essentially they had to retcon it. They had to essentially find a way to say that that didn't happen because otherwise Magneto cannot be used as a character again. Like you couldn't in good faith make Magneto a kind of heroic or noble figure if you allow Morrison's conception of Magneto to be canon to be yeah. and i think whereas this is the plus side of an alternate universe is that you don't have to retcon it you can just have this character can maintain this worldview and this is just how they're set out i think it's a little bit like what i was talking before and i found it interesting when we were talking about um yeah this alternate universe is that in those ones um the fact that the human you were talking about before where in the main universe is a lot of the stuff against mutants is kind of weirdly not passive aggressive but it's it's not outrightly like it's small violence, mm. like isolated attacks by people or segregational kind of stuff, mm. uh, which is all really bad, right? Yeah. Really, really bad. <laughs> I know, yeah, but I'm saying like this one to this extreme is like 
full-on killing execution. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it makes it even more justified. Like before, um, I think Magneto, we're talking about how noble, you know, nobility mm. of Magneto. And um, it's one of those things where uh, the, the, here it's like, you still have that argument, even though he is that that extreme. Yeah. And I feel like if you're in that other universe, you know, we were talking about with um, we have to make what what genocidal Magneto like he can't be canon, mm. you know. Otherwise, you can't use him in good faith. Here, it's like yeah, but the humans here, like the U.S. government, are indiscriminately killing mutants. Mm. So you can see, I think it's done quite well where they're both to their extremes. Yeah, I think that that was what I was thinking. It's like you create this thing where the extremism of the Sentinel program, extremism of humanity, then means that Magneto's even further extremism yeah. makes perfect sense within that kind of context. Yeah, and there's, there's, you know, they're talking about, and then you have within the group where you can still have the arguments of people can be on both sides. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, like as terrible, it's really terrible in the in the main universe, you know, as we're talking about segregation, et cetera, like terrible, but here it's like, really, really, really terrible, you know, mm. <laughs> like executions. Um, yeah, which I found really interesting. It also talks us about kind of a little bit of a tangent, but um, I think it's one of those things where we were talking about how I'm come from a different perspective from you, you know, especially with this one. You're mm. a big, big X-Men fan. I'm an, I'm an X-Men fan too, but I come in, um, I come into the ultimate universe not being as kind of, um, kind of uh, au fait and, and as in love with the Marvel mm. main continuity. I do think that that I'm okay with alternate kind of universe things that take a different stance on characters. I'm always a big mm. fan of that. And I think that, for example, I'm, I'm a big Superman fan, right? I yeah. love Superman. I've always loved Superman. But I know there's a lot of people, and I'm, and I'm fine with different interpretations of Superman. You know, for example, Man of Steel. I love Man of Steel. Mm. I think that it does... There's kind of that thing, I think, against the Ultimate Universe that people get very attached to certain versions of characters mm. and that they, you know, and they don't understand that. I think it's kind of hard for a lot of people when you're a really big fan to yeah. kind of accept that this isn't that version of that character. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the sort of... I get Spider Man like this. This is the, This is how Spider Man has to be. This, yeah. what, this is how Captain America has to be. Captain America has to be. These are the core values and ideas that make up this Captain America. But within the point of an alternate universe is to be able to say, well, what if these are the? This is the fundamental aspects of Captain America. Mm. It takes that kind of, and I think yeah, that is a really difficult one, because at one level then it's like, does isn't it just kind of boring if your alternate universe characters have to be the same yeah. ethically, well not ethically, but same have the same kind of values or morality that they would in in kind of their main kind of depictions. Yeah, I think that's, we'll, we'll probably get more into this in Ultimates. Mm. I think that's a big discussion we're going to have in Ultimates as, as someone who, you know, well, well, we'll talk about it in Ultimates. Yeah. But, but here I think it is, we can talk that with, with Magneto. It is a different version. It's not that Magneto, it's this mm. Magneto. And I think it very much fits in with the, the kind of theme and everything in this universe at the moment. Yeah. Um, moving on, the the X Men here are, are then dispatched into uh, Croatia to rescue the first daughter. The core brotherhood of mutants is introduced here. Magneto's children, Quicksilver and and Scarlet Witch, the amphibious Toad, the super strong Blob, and the telepathic sex pest Mastermind. <laughs> 
I, just, ex- I decided to put that in there because he like masterizes that like, he's just like it's kind of he's like greasy slicked back gray hair in a ponytail and a fucking pedo star yeah and he's like trying to flirt with scarlet witch and it's just something i'm like yeah you're a, this is a, he's a sex pest like, yeah definitely um the the x-men's raid is successful and they extract this first daughter however magneto arrives f- before the group can escape and storm discovers beast apparently dead crushed under rubble there's something I want to talk about here, this mm-hmm. exact moment. This is where I think we'll probably talk about Wolverine and and Jean Grey's relationship. Yeah. Because there is a comment um, that I think hasn't aged very well. Yeah, it, it's the consistent... <laughs> okay, so the problem with this is that Wolverine's heel turn away from Magneto is largely precipitated by the fact that he is attracted to Jean Grey, who's 19, yeah. and kind of... It, it's one of those things where he's trying to flirt with her and seduce her, essentially. Mm. And, and we talk about in the, in the next... In the following issue, there's a comment where someone in the Brotherhood asks Magneto, is like, why hasn't Wolverine just killed Xavier? And Magneto goes, this is just how... And again, on a weird point, he's like, I, this is when I sent Wolverine after those oil barons. Is like there's just a woman who's trying to get in bed first, and it is this bit that hasn't aged at all well, because, and even even though like I think the implication for Wolverine is that he's not like in the main continuity he's over he's like two hundred years old, mm. but the idea is that he's probably not that, but it's also this weird point in time of he's at least in his thirties. And there's this whole bunch of thing about his relationship with a 19-year-old. Yeah, I think for me it's less than 19-year-old. I think that she seems... It's more the overall tone with it. Mm. So there's a joke. This is why I'm talking about it here. There's a bit where she goes, oh, get a 17-year-old. Oh, you'd do anything to impress a 17-year-old. in a tight sweater. And <laughs> that's where I was like, oof, that's, that has an age well. Specific, if they didn't have that, specifically with Jean, I probably would be more okay with, just because it's the kind of, um, you know, it's not objective mm. it's subject lots of people have different opinions bring different mm. opinions valid people bring different opinions with if you're over 18 right mm. if you're over 18 lots of people have different opinions with age gaps uh people bring in different experiences people have mm. different viewpoints i don't think well i think it's not objective you know that there's yeah. different people with different viewpoints and even without putting mine it's one of those things where um she does seem to be quite have a lot of agency in mm. it seems that she's someone that's doing something goes into the also goes into conventions in um uh a lot of teen dramas there's often bits where there's a because she's 19 but you know a teenager older teenager going out with an older man in his 20s mm. or something that usually happens in teen dramas you know a la you know euphoria skins etc yeah. that's something that does happen i didn't have it so much but it's just the overall tone so about 17 year old that's where it starts yeah. getting it's less and objective I, and i think part less of objective, it sorry and i think part of it is a bit weird it's wolverine set up as this kind of like rebellious kind of badass he's you know he's the rebellious <laughs> badass character and you just look at him and just go oh yeah. 17 really like it's <laughs> it's just bringing the attention to the age is one of those yeah. things that i started having a problem with where and it's think- more like it's less it would have been different if even if we didn't find out she was 19, mm. maybe it's just inferred just because they're all this age and we find out somehow. Let's yeah. just keep bringing the attention to the fact that she's 19 mm. and the other one's 18, 17, sorry, and you kind of as treated as a sexual object that there's this thing where it's a little bit, becomes a little bit more, 
you know, core, you know, younger women, haha, you know, that mm. kind of thing <laughs> with, with an older man that, that felt kind of unsavory. It's, it's one of those things. And again, we talk about like the, yeah. the movie influence, right? It's probably the biggest movie bleed. Yeah. Like that doesn't work. And I think it's that sort of thing, obviously, because that Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey kind of relationship, love triangle has existed in the comics, but then the movies really hammered at home and kind of, that's something that it feels like this drawn this, but it didn't quite approach it right. No, especially if you're aging down the rest of the cast. The, the, one, yeah. the one thing I wanted to ask about, though, it's quite funny, and I think it's interesting that they very heavily imply that the president is George Bush, George W. Bush. <laughs> yeah. Because I think, again, that's that again, that's what you can talk about with different continuities, right? In mainline Marvel continuity, they don't really go into who the president is, who the current sitting president is. Like they will imply, like there's definitely bits like where when Obama was was president, which was around the time that the Marvel Civil War event was happening, where it was like the Superhero Registration Act, and essentially all superhumans had to register with the government. And the first thing they do to get rid of that is they go, Obama repeals it, but they they don't necessarily say it to Obama, but that's the implication, right? Yeah. What I like is and you see the president later on and it's kind of pretty clearly supposed to be george w especially bush especially in ultimates yeah and i think that's the thing it hammers home that's the really interesting thing to have an alternate universe be able to do is just go no this actually fits within some alternate timeline or some alternate continuity but these are the core figures who are still involved in this and it allows like you said with our point about this led into islamophobia and 9 yeah. 11 that sort of thing it fits with this theme of like well why don't we actually use the actual actors who created the political climates that led to these things, but then just also add superhumans on top of that? Yeah, 100%, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that, that is true. I, I also remember even when Trump was mm. in charge, unless you're doing a negative uh, a negative uh, kind of president, such as you know, Kingsman 2, uh, you, you also got the kind of still Obama kind of figure. I remember a lot mm. of comics where it was clearly, you know, Obama still, <laughs> which, you know, is fair enough. And also we got President Superman, didn't we, in um, yeah. Morrison's Multiversity? Yeah, we did. Oh, I should have a word about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, often they try and stay away from presidents, but here it is interesting that it's a really good point that they're very, very clear. And obviously as it goes mm. on with uh, Ultimates, even more clear and leans even more into the political post 9-11 and clearly post 9-11, <laughs> especially Ultimates 2. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, that is interesting. Should we get yep, on to issue four? Issue four? Yeah, yeah, so issue four pretty much starts off immediately after the last issue with Storm finding Beast's body. Um, the situation rapidly escalates because the Croatian military s starts to pin down the young X-Men. And then this is the kind of point where, again, like we talked about where well, we talked said like previous issue there'd been this kind of tension with some mutant with some of the x-men being like why should we do this or like why is this mm. not making you know, done this sort of thing and again it comes to this point in time where now suddenly some of the x-men and again especially storm starts questioning whether or not xavier cares more about appealing to humans and being kind of respected and kind of building those relationships there than protecting mutants because again like we said these characters are all somewhere between 16 to 20 and the fact of the matter is, is like they got sent into a war zone yeah and someone's apparently almost apparently died and it's a sort of thing with like saving humans as well yes to save a human and what I, the one thing i do find interesting with storm in this is that when storm's introduced she says she 
tells Jean Grey, if you're one of Magneto's people, I've already said, no, I don't want to join. And I find it interesting that Storm is presented as this character who doesn't want anything to do with Magneto, but then is consistently the one who questions Xavier and Xavier's approach and yeah, question, who questions Xavier and Xavier's approach, hmm. which I think is a really interesting kind of kind of thing to have. Yeah, just to jump in, I think that um, I think yeah, that is that is interesting because it's something that I really liked about this and kind of my criticism, if you remember last time with Ultimate Spider-Man, is they're all quite well-behaved children. Mm. They're all very very well-behaved children. Didn't strike true to me. I think children are messy. I think it's one of these things where when you're growing up, you know, it you people make mistakes. People will get into a mistake that a that that one of the younger characters gets in later mm. when we go through the summary, but. Um, I think here questioning things, questioning authority, you know, taking different viewpoints, different different stance, stances, you know, as we're talking about the storm here, it rings more true to me as an, as actual children. Mm. Um, I think I was talking about, you know, talk to me last time and how well they depicted children in that. And, you know, uh, talk by children. I mean, I mean, teenagers. teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Teenagers. It's like teenagers, early twenties, you know, 20 teenagers, 20. Mm. It's one of those things where, yeah, like, they do question things. We, I did. You know, I question things. It's one of these things where, um, and make mistakes as well. It's one of these things. Maybe take a reactionary viewpoint of something because something bad has happened. It's yeah. fair enough, and take a reactionary viewpoint that you may grow up and go, oh, you know, maybe I was a bit wrong there, even if yeah. the reasons why they brought up to it. And we'll, we'll go more into mm. that later. But I did, I did like that, especially from yeah. Storm. So yeah. So and essentially from this kind of point, Magneto interrupts and essentially rescues the X Men. And it's this bit, the big part of it is he gives this massive lecture about Xavier's respectability politics, um, the X-Men complicitness in the continuity and the set of the Sentinel program now. And he does like this whole kind of like, you are race traitors. Like you are essentially betraying, betraying your people to save humans. And, but in saying that, the Brotherhood do, him and the Brotherhood do provide medical attention to Beast and they send the X-Men off. And then this is that bit where I was talking about where someone questions why Wolverine has not killed Xavier and Magneto goes, oh, he's trying to get a woman into bed. And it's just like, Ew. yeah. <laughs> um, we then see kind of Xavier and Jean operating on Beast, using their powers to directly learn from the minds of the world's best surgeons and using some like experimental organ transplant treatments, which the side effect is Beast's hair turns blue. And then the kind of rest of the X-Men reflect on kind of Magneto's kind of words and the anti-mutant sentiment. And then Wolverine and Jean Grey begin a romance. Um, I think, again, it's this sort of thing. And I I really like how they talk about Xavier's kind of tele telepathy and applications of mutant powers outside of just fighting or combative yeah. ones. Where it's like, of course, you can like if you can read people's minds, you can become a brain surgeon. And like you could, and telekinetically, and you have telekinesis, you could learn this information and apply it immediately. Yeah. I think the similar one was Xavier at the very beginning when they introduced Professor X. He talks about how they go to the library and the library's empty. And he's like, well, what I like to do is I like to read, like pick my favorite authors and I like to read their minds as they write and just kind of pick their, their kind of thoughts as they go onto the page. And I think that's a really cool way of being like, here are just obviously with that invasive, but here are these ways in which mutant powers can be used like in interesting ways. Mm. And then 
So following on from that, Xavier begins a dialogue with the White House after the rescue of the First Daughter. However, he is confronted by Cyclops, who quits the X-Men because of Xavier's continual, like, allying with humanity. And then Xavier tries to use his tele telepathy to influence Cyclops and prevent him from leaving. leaving. Scott notices this and essentially it confirms his perspective on Xavier and he leaves to the Savage Land where he is welcomed by Magneto. Yeah, again, this is what I was talking about. I think that I really love this because I think Cyclops is someone who's generally considered as just kind of like a, a square, a prefect, mm. etc. I think him being one of the ones who, you know, is going through a lot of emotions, he's going through this stuff, I think, which is what teenagers go through because mm. uh, he's 17 i think so yeah yeah 17 because he's younger a couple of years younger than than gene uh he's someone that i yeah i quite like that i thought that was it's interesting that he is re like i said reactionary mm. he's reacting to something but he's going to the other side so he's lashing out against it he's lashing out against something that he he has valid reasons to lash out mm. against but he's going to the side of another extreme mm. so it's going from one extreme to the other not quite thinking it through, which is very much what teenagers do, right? It's yeah. uh, teenagers are flawed, they make mistakes. And I think that that's something that I've really, really liked. I also really like, and again, it's one of these consistent themes through X-Men and I think is consistently, and again, I don't think you get it in the movies at all, but it's consistently the theme of Professor Xavier is a dickhead, <laughs> he's a jerk. Because, and I, and I think with this and is always this sort of thing of, he has his vision and his view but then also is kind of quite high and mighty and kind of so assured in his perspective. And I think with this, I like the fact that he, like one of these things that kind of comes up in a lot of X-Men books from the 70s onwards is often this idea that if you have telepathy, if you can read someone's mind, you need to be incredibly disciplined. Like you can't just go about changing people's mind. You can't like, and in a recent comic, there was a really interesting thing where Xavier talks about there's a, fantastic panel who goes there will never be a nuclear war because i have essentially whoever anybody who's close to the button pretty able to press the button i've tele telepathically put blocks that will prevent them from doing it it's like that like that that's my secret like i try not i like i talk about not taking away people's free will people's choice because he could like that's the reality of telepathy you could take away people's free will and agency but he's like this is the one thing i say is that I I essentially make sure there is never a nuclear war. And I think I like the sort of thing of Xavier here has his vision, but there's not there's not the same kind of ethics that he kind of grapples with. He's very just clearly it's just like, cool Cyclops, why don't you just calm down and go upstairs and we can talk about this tomorrow? Or we don't talk about this, so we can just go back to doing stuff tomorrow. And Cyclops notices and just goes, well, you've been in my head. You're like, how do you, this is manipulative. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool, obviously horrible, but I think it's a really good way to kind of set up. Like we get Magneto as a very clear, like terrorist conducting bombings. Whereas now we get Xavier as like, okay, cool. His own vision is kind of his way. And he has the power to make people adhere to that vision if he wants. Yeah. And also that kind of authority figure, mm. um, controlling their minds and everything i think is it, it works very well i think they they did quite well with that transition mm. uh yeah issue five opens up with me very much being on the side of the brotherhood of mutants <laughs> by blowing up big ben houses of parliament uh because to prevent tony blair's plan 
to start a British Sentinel fleet. So sign me right up. Um, <laughs> Cyclops is involved in this operation and clashes with the the Brotherhood's callous disregard for keeping uh, casualties to a minimum. Um, again, showing the kind of reactionary thing going from one extreme to the other. Um, I'm just I'm just imagining like. <laughs> I'm just like I can. I'm I watching some interviews. I'm watching like Have I Got News for You and seeing clips of Tony Blair and that sort of sort of thing. And it is just thinking like I'm just imagining just him him introducing a fleet of death robots. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, he kind of did, didn't he? He kind of did. It was a, this is pre-invasion of Iraq. So I mean, let's let's yeah, let's let's be honest. It's one of those things where that's aged very well. They talk about them not aging well, but it's like. You know, ultimates, and I'm like, yep, blowing up Tony Blair. That's aged. We would have, we would have been very young. But what do you <laughs> do? You remember anything, or do you do? Have you talked to your parents about? Because we're both from grew up in the UK, from the UK. Do you have your parents kind of told you about what they knew, what they kind of saw, what they around? I guess around that kind of going into a rock war terror kind of side yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember a lot of it as well. I think I, we weren't. I mean, we were young. We, Two thousand three, three when five. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah three so in two thousand and one because I moved to New Zealand. Oh, two thousand and one. Yeah, I don't remember the. But so because I remember my mum because we lived in Wiltshire, so we live quite close to Salisbury Plain, which is where a lot of the army does its manoeuvres and that sort of sort of thing. Yeah, and I remember my mum saying, you know, the military helicopters going overhead, and that like suddenly that that escalation. Mum, I think my mum talking about, oh, this is this is quite real. This is actually yeah. something's happening on a big scale. Yeah, I remember a lot of the Islamophobia. Uh, particularly, I think, because I was growing up in Bedford, mm. uh, quite working class um, area, uh, a lot of big, big Muslim community, big Pakistani Muslim community lived and went to school where I went to school with. So um, I went to school near a big Muslim pop, uh, population. So that was which was which was all good. But I did firsthand kind of see a lot of mm. a lot of you know the p word etc. be yeah. thrown around by people. Um, I'd come home and I think, you know, you go on the news. I think there was there was just a lot because it was one of those things where I was confused as yeah. I was talking about before. I even genuinely, I was quite young, like six, seven, mm. you know, we we're talking about Afghanistan, we're going to Afghanistan, seven, eight, like, you know, my whole childhood pretty much. I remember just always being confused, like what what's mm. going on? Like why, why, why Afghanistan? Why Iraq? If it's to do with 9-11, it's one of these things where I think that, why this part when this part of ultimate X-Men, people <laughs> talk about the ultimate universe not aging like milk was the thing that i saw they mm. talked about ultimates aging like milk ultimate x-men aging like milk. i've seen these which i completely fundamentally disagree with mm. and i think that this stuff has aged really well because you look back and you go yeah you know the media back then was super <laughs> playing on prejudices you know, there's there is Islamophobia, and I think that this has aged well, even if it's not intended. It was mm. it death of the writer and all that? You know, death of the artist. Yeah. Uh, you know that it has. You know, it's early two thousands, two thousand and one, when the majority of people are reading this, it's in a post nine eleven world. Yeah. Unless you're picking up the issues, as it's they a post come <laughs> yeah. As they come out and reading them initially, you it, you've read this in the post nine eleven world. Mm. Yeah. Um. Right, yeah, so after, you know, blowing up Tony Blair, um, the, yeah, this is where they kind of go into loggerheads, Cyclops and Magneto. They debate the methods um, uh, that are being used. Magneto explains his ethos and vision. 
Um, here, kind of interesting, Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver discuss their relationship with Magneto. Uh, Quicksilver lamenting how all he, all he seeks in his father is his approval despite his uh, neglect. And I think it's kind of interesting. We're, we're talking about the kind of... This does seem like the kind of... Going in my mind is the post... Is it Ultimatum? It's Ultimates 3. Ultimates so 3, essentially, yeah. So, again, when people talk about parts... Of the, 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 one of the bits of the Ultimate Marvel Universe <laughs> that has aged like milk is Ultimates 3. Although, has it? I mean, it's a post-Game of Thrones world, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ultimates 3... <laughs> And I think the context to it is that the writer of Ultimates 3, it wasn't Mark Miller, it wasn't Brian Michael Bendis, it was Jeff Loeb. And I think yeah. there was some pretty serious things happening in Jeff Loeb's life at the time. And Ultimates 3, what they establish is that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver have an incestuous relationship. Yeah. And it's one of those ones and that... And watched by their potential, actual, and yeah, their Wolver- potential and, biological and it's, father. And it's poten- <laughs> the idea is that Wolverine is possibly their biological father and he's... Magneto sends him Wolverine. This is like it's like a flashback. Magneto sends Wolverine to kill Quicksilver, and watches them have <laughs> sex. And then there's this kind of bit where it's like, but then there's a cut. Another flashback where it's like Wolverine sleeps with Magneto's wife, and it's a point of like, and it's one of those ones you sit and go, has aged incredibly badly. But also is small king is kind of yeah. largely, largely regarded as one of the worst parts of the ultimate, king, ult- that's it, yeah. ultimate Marvel universe, and I think it colors some of these interactions a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like in this case, it is very platonic, like siblings chatting. Yeah, but then it, you look back and it, now knowing that it colors some of that discussion. Yeah, well, we were talking about. I mean, Game of Thrones, I mean, Short King, all this stuff. It's definitely going, I mean, has it aged badly or is this going into current? I'm, I'm joking, of course, but but I do think it's also like I, we're going to get on to Ultimates 3 when we get to Ultimates 3, which I'm secretly looking forward to, even though it's Ultimates terrible. Ultimates 3 is going to be I've, incredibly fun to cover. Yeah, and I've, <laughs> I've never, see, the thing is, like I said, I haven't read Ultimates 3. Mm. I'm with you guys. I haven't read Ultimates 3, unless you guys are uh, big Ultimate fans. Um, I haven't I haven't read it. I just already know about it, because it's, like, infamous on the internet. Like, mm. it's it's a joke. Like, it's known as one of the worst. It's probably you look up a top ten list of worst, worst comic comics. Book, it will be on Worst it. comic book moments. That will be in there. So it's one of those things where it's, like, so infamous that I'm, like, reading in my back of my mind. <laughs> it's definitely probably me inserting that. It probably is just a normal conversation. No, but I, that's the thing. It is the thing, like, because knowing about yeah. Ultimates 3. And, again, I think the, the best way to read this, if you are going to read it, is just ignore the like the last five minutes of what we said and just pretend Ultimate 3 doesn't exist, like, which is what most people do. Ultimate 3 doesn't exist and this is a normal sibling relationship. Um, but the thing I did want to talk about is, and issue five is the bit with Magneto that I think is a very diff- distant, distinct kind of part. Issue five is one of the only times where we get any kind of reference to Magneto being Jewish. Oh, is it? Because I think I missed that. So, like, so what? One I of the forgot. things I think there's a bit where he talks about, you know, my, you know, most of my, I have relatives who have been survived, and they, or who have been survivors of genocide or whatever, and they do show like a kind of like little flash panel, like a little panel oh, yeah. of what essentially what are people in one of, in a death camp against the fence of a death camp, and it's one of these really interesting things because 
Magneto obviously is, and again, even in the X-Men films, they center the fact that it he's is, Jewish. Yeah. And I think it's this really difficult one. And his Jewish identity wasn't introduced until Chris Claremont took over the X-Men. Like he was not Jewish when in the original Stanley Jack Kirby kind of creation of Magneto. And it is a really difficult one because I th I don't know if Ultimate Magneto was stronger or weaker because of it. Yeah. Because this is this is what I think is the only time it gets brought up. I also think it's movies bleed as well. I think mm. it's because that was a it was very famous opening sequence, isn't it, from X Men? And I think and but I think in doing that, then what it means is that it comes to this kind of really interesting thing. So there, and with Magneto, where there was a really interesting point in the nineteen nineties where Magneto, despite was kind of, we, there was the, it was kind of on panel that he'd been in a death camp. He'd been a survivor of a death of the, in a death camp, and there've been kind of lots of bits where he, after the war, like he's in Israel with Xavier. That's he meets Xavier and Charles Xavier in Israel in the main continuity. But there was a period in the nineteen nineties where, again, they wanted Magneto to be a more clear cut villain, and even though. Magneto's Jewish identity is what makes him such a compelling villain. Marvel editorial was not comfortable with that. So they retconned Magneto to be Romani. And then what, and obviously Romani, you could keep a lot of things like you have that, you know, Romani were, you know, was it two, three million people Romani killed in the Holocaust? Yeah, like a lot. And there's still a lot, a lot of mm. kind of racism. And, and so I think... Yeah. What kind of comes up with that is, and the, and then that's the kind of the problem is that they erased that, but then there was a, a subsequent retcon where they made Magneto Jewish, and established him, and he's been firmly Jewish ever since. And I I wonder if in this idea of setting forth a more evil Magneto, a more clear cut villainous Magneto, if removing the Jewish identity was part of that, yeah. But I also do think that because this is something that is linked to the 2000s, I also wonder if it's a sort of thing of you want to have Magneto and Xavier as not older characters. Mm. So I think it could just be that instead, if he's not a Holocaust, you know, if he's a Holocaust survivor, by the year 2000, he's probably in his late 60s, early 70s. He's Ian McKellen's age. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in this, you kind of get the vibe he's in his 40s or 50s. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of that as well, is just going, well, if we remove this, then we can kind of build a magnitude that fits a modern timeline, especially because we don't really have a history of mutants going back so far. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, again, it's it's one of those ones where they put it in there because everyone knows it because of the movies that mm. just came out. They were massive hits. Yeah, Kind of the first big kind of um, like superhero hits. I mean, obviously mm. we had... Smaller ones, I mean, Blade was, and yeah, Blade, but these were kind of like cult, like yeah. not cult, but they were big, successful, but action movies, yeah, uh, or Batman, and which at that point had fizzled out, and Superman all the way in the seventies. But mm. this one was the kind of modern, big yeah. university type, you know, sequels kind of thing. Um, kind of makes sense. They're trying to link it to yeah. it. So, oh, sorry, before I, before we move on, the yeah. one the one thing I want to talk about with Magneto, and I think other thing is. This is something that I really like is, and again, it's one of those points that some people criticize for being edgy, but I think sets forth, again, sets forth a really clear worldview for Magneto. 
to where Magneto is like mutants is the idea of mutants is that they are the next stage in a human evolution. Yeah. And Magneto and the idea of Magneto is that, well, we should, we should claim that like we should claim that we are superior, but he takes a very post human approach to that in a way that, so one of the, the, one of the panels that gets and the ideas that Magneto comes up with is that there's a panel. He goes, I'm a vegetarian. I haven't eaten human. I haven't tasted human flesh in years. And it's one of those things where that whole, at some level, it's there's different readings on it. I think some people could just go, that's a bit weird, and you didn't need to kind of set that forth. But I also think it gives him a worldview that is so post-human. It says, and go yeah. like, well, of course, I'd. and he you know, refers to humans as cattle throughout the sort of thing, throughout, throughout, throughout his run in Ultimate Marvel. And I think this sort of thing is, it is really... I, I think it's, I just personally find it a really compelling way to at least give him some kind of worldview. And I think making him a very post-human, like, this isn't like a human versus mutant thing. Like, whereas Xavier is saying, well, mutants are part of the human population. Mutants are still people. or well, mutants are still human. Whereas that Magneto's thing is, we are so far beyond human that yeah. you view humanity in the same that we view cows. Yeah, which I really liked as well. I thought, again, mm. doing something different... Uh, and again, adding, I really like it when you kind of have well thought out, Mm. um, ideological views for characters, like even if you don't personally agree with them, it's one of those ones where I really like it when it makes sense that if he's so post post human sees human as a little bit like the eradication of humanity is a little bit like, uh, eradication pets, pests, Mm. like getting rid of pests or something because it sees them as these other creatures these kind of annoying creatures uh you know and using them like cattle i i Mm. get that and i think it it makes sense and i think and again i think they also build in a hypocrisy point where they we're in this conversation between scarlet witch and quicksilver scarlet witch says the reason he doesn't like us and you in particular is because they remind him of the fact that he at some point had a relationship with a human woman hmm and that, and I think that's a really point where at least you build in these hypocrisy points and these kind of bits where he sees himself as so post-human, but then there are these things where, you know, was in a relationship long enough to have a child, have two children with someone. And I think that kind of builds, it's built quite well. Yeah. And having that little, it, it's almost immediately that kind of so pro-mutant post-human worldview is almost immediately undercut by, oh, but here's his human relationship. Yeah, 100%. Um so finish off the <laughs> yeah no 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 I I agree I also think <laughs> I also think that's that's fascinating um, but yeah like just just getting into that that uh, this is what this is where it comes up really um, they as they discuss the Sentinel attack on uh, as they you know there's a discussion between Scarlet Witch and and Quicksilver um, like continues that there is a Sentinel attack on. Uh, the Savage Land. The, the, here it kills uh, hundreds of mutants. Uh, Magneto swiftly brings the carnage to a halt, manipulating the metal sentinels and reprogramming them to target humans instead of mutants and sending them uh, to begin a human genocide in America. Here I think I really, really liked the fact that it's kind of an escalation, that there's mm. one side is escalating it and another side. So the US, the way that they, they seem very, very extreme, it's one of these things where the US and especially the US or the Western world really, um, that that they kind of escalate and rebound and get worse and worse and worse. Mm. That I really, really like that. It's really interesting because it's like, you know, 
it's like, yeah, you're going to start indiscriminately killing us. You know, I'm going to kidnap your your daughter. You know, now I'm going to, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to blow up your land. It's like, you know what? Okay, then I'm going to like- re- Wipe your country from the face of the earth. Exactly. Destroy all mm. uh, all humans. I think that, that was really interesting. And here, I think it goes into that whole thing about, you know, teenagers making mistakes, teenagers growing, mm. teenagers being kind of reactionary. Uh, even if they have the best kind of ideas at heart, you know, reacting to authority figures. Um, I think Cyclops uh, and the Brotherhood are, are shocked at, at what Magneto has just done. And Cyclops reaches out to Xavier to warn warn him on the uh, incoming massacre. And I think that, like you said, I think that's really good because it gives this point in time where Magneto is 100% assured of what he's doing. He's 100% behind his beliefs. But then the moment that he does this, all the kind of brotherhood is just like, oh, shit, this is serious, like serious, serious. And it's not necessarily that they disagree, but at this point in time, you just see that they're, it's something that they weren't expecting or anticipating. And I think that gives it like a real punch because it's like, it's almost like kind of like, I guess like how, how deep into the revolution are you or how deep into this movement are you? Yeah. And yeah, it's really, really good. Um, issue six opens so the final issue opens with Jean Grey confronting Wolverine who obviously has revealed that he has been sent to assassinate Xavier and again we said Wolverine's attraction to Jean meant he's kind of embraced Xavier's vision and it's kind of those ones where he's like they make it an alright bit where he goes like oh you know the longer I was around you and wanted to be with you the more I came open to this kind of idea and it's a bit it's very it just doesn't feel like it works very well i don't yeah i think i think it's a little bit of this thing where one of the other reasons i think it gets away with it i think firstly i think that gene seems quite like i don't know again it's the conventions of mm. kind of teen teen dramas but also uh the fact that she's kind of very sure of herself she is seems clearly have a lot of agency mm. uh which i think is very cool uh but also the other thing that goes with it is it's so background like yeah you see them kiss once, Cyclops gets a bit jealous, but it's other things as well with Cyclops, but also works with the team drama thing. Mm. Uh, and then like this here. So in one sense, it kind of like, I read this and I was like, oh, that's all right, because um, I didn't really have too much of a strong opinion mm. other than the weird comment about the 17 year old. Um, and the fact that they keep bringing to attention that she's 19, which is just so weird. <laughs> but um, I was kind of like, it wouldn't be in my mind or bother me as much. Like mm. I really, really enjoyed this uh, this volume. And it's like, when you first asked me, like, what do I think of that? I was just like, yeah, it was very in the background. Like mm. realistically, probably like four or five panels. Yeah. Because it, it has that at the end and it's like in the background. So it works in that sense where I, it doesn't bother me. But at the same time, it also doesn't work because there's this whole stuff with Wolverine apparently wanting to be with her and everything, but it was like not established at all. Yeah. And like, it's a background thing. And like Wolverine's just like, Oh yeah, nah, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it kind of would make it a little bit more sense if he's like, mm. yo, like I'm a hired killer for one person, not like exterminating all these people. I'm not going to aid you with that would kind of make a little bit more sense. Cause yeah. it's just so extreme that you wouldn't yeah. need to even develop a kind of thing. You just go, yeah, now nah, this is too far, bro. <laughs> like, which would make sense. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, definitely a few things to think about there. Yeah. So then essentially immediately after this, Xavier telepathically warns everybody in Washington, D.C. of the coming attack and pledges the X-Men to protect humanity. Um, 
Cyclops attempts to leave the Savage Land to join the X-Men and then Quicksilver tries to stop him and then Cyclops essentially berates him for never standing up to Magneto and just being essentially this kind of pushover kind of character. And I think it's an interesting one because I guess it is an abusive relationship and I think it's it's interesting to see that kind of dynamic play out, be like, stand up to your dad. <laughs> yeah. And then Magneto's attack begins and the X-Men leap into action. They're essentially supporting the US military, rescuing civilians. And essentially it's going really well until obviously Magneto enters the fold himself. And he and essentially they don't actually fight, like the X-Men don't really fight Magneto. What we get is we get essentially a broadcast where Magneto has ripped the president from the White House and has like essentially magnetically floating like a whole bunch of guns and TV cameras pointing at it and is preparing to execute execute um, the George Bush in front of the world. <laughs> it's one of those ones you <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's just one of those ones you sit and go like it's just because because people it's like the George Bush and Tony Blair of it is just that they're it's pre horrible, again pre invasion of horrible, Iraq horrible people and yeah. it's just like I, I know in the background I'm like it's bad to for someone to be executed on live TV. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but then it's also, but it's, it's George Bush. Yeah, I'm, I'm like um, joking, of course, but it is one yeah. of those things where it, this is again the product of pre, like we were talking about, oh, it's fascinating. It's pre 9-11. It has all this like stuff of conscious about Islamophobia, but it's also like pre invasion of Iraq where people of the public discourse and p- opinion is firmly like, yeah, they're both war criminals. Mm. Why aren't they thrown up <laughs> against the, you know, in front of the head? Yeah, exactly. And so it's a little bit more like, so it's pre all that. So everyone's <laughs> just like, I guess he's a president. So only like a year into his term, mm. like not very far. So he hasn't done that much damage yet. So, yeah. Yeah. So essentially an attempt to stop Magneto from killing the president, Xavier attempts to confront him. And I, the implication is, and I think it comes up in a later issue is that Xavier has some level of telekinesis as well. Who? Like Xavier does. Because there's a bit yeah. where oh, he, yes. he yeah. like hurls a car at Magneto and Magneto just throws it back at him. And then essentially goes to execute Charles instead of the president. And I think that's what I thought was really interesting yeah. as he goes, I, I think also he says, I, I think it's actually a more powerful statement for me to execute you than the president, than George Bush because it shows how much I despise your integrationist ideas. I despise your, mm. I, like your attempt to, um, to essentially pacify or kind of ally with your people. And I thought that was just, it's just a good line. I just thought it was really yeah, cool. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then, however, then Wolverine, obviously in his heel turn attacks Magneto and essentially just stabs him through the, through the chest. And then Magneto just, attempts, he's like, I'm going to attempt a suicide attack. Essentially, wipes out all like since she tries to wipe out life on earth um by overriding the us's nuclear arsenal and tries to activating it however at the last moment quicksilver who's is super fast and is able to get to magneto in time removes his helmet which allows xavier to take control of him and turns turns him into a super magnet essentially like and launches him into the atmosphere and then drawing all these sentinels and nuclear weapons to him and then just detonates in the atmosphere and i think i think it's just nice because i think it's a cool way to at least involve xavier in these kind of things right Mm. and i think but it also comes down to and i think it's a very silver age thing so like i in some of the books i was reading today of the early x-men there's just this consistent thing of xavier where if xavier enters the fold he just mind wipes people (laughs) <laughs> like it's like it's like issue two the x-men face the vanisher 
and essentially they corner the Vanisher and Xavier just take, like essentially blocks the part of his brain that controls his powers and mind wipes him. <laughs> and it's just this consistent thing in a Silver Age of if Xavier enters the fold, it's like it just, ends, it just ends with a mind wipe. Yeah. And I think that's, I like the fact that this is like essentially, it feels like, again, like in the same way that Ultimate Spider-Man felt like that kind of Silver Age Spider-Man origin story, it it's nice to have like that little Silver Age kind of X-Men convention shop where Xavier essentially takes control of someone and then obviously obviously detonates Magneto in the atmosphere. Um, and essentially the volume, this volume of Ultimate X-Men concludes with Cyclops being welcomed back to the X-Men. Um, we see in the background like Jean and Wolverine fighting um, and but Cyclops is having a catch up with chat with Xavier and Xavier discusses phase two of his vision beginning. Mm. And yeah, that's that's that story arc was <laughs> Ultimate X-Men 1, 2, 6. And it was really fun to go back and read these again. Like yeah. I I had part of it's because of the nostalgia thing, but also it's again it's at the point in time I read it first when I was 14. And looking back now with that kind of war on terror, with that geopolitical mm. lens, is is just makes it much more fun to get into. Yeah, see for me, um, for me, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. It's one of those ones where uh, I think Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, I like Ultimate Spider-Man for me is like a five or a six out of mm. ten. Like I liked it. It was okay. I like even as I'm talking about it now, I'm struggling to remember specific <laughs> things. It, but but like overall, it, it was okay. It felt it, again like I mentioned. I've mentioned loads of times. I felt like I could be into continuity here. They do stuff that's different. Yeah, they do stuff that's interesting. It, yeah, it might be a product of of the kind of the out the movies mm. as you were talking about. But you know what? That's kind of aged well because it's one of those things where we've moved away from that, very much away from the Fox X Men stuff. Mm. You know that it's a product of its time, but it's a little bit like reading it now. We have so much of the other things. You know, we have so much nostalgia of the '90s. We have so much yeah. nostalgia of the TV show that's even coming back, the '90s TV show. And we have so much of the um, like new things as well that it's a little bit like it's kind of nice to read something that's a little bit more based and streamlined based on the the mm. X-Men things, which, you know, probably was the first thing. I think the the two the two movies that actually got me reading comics properly instead of just picking up mm. random issues from comic book stores was The Dark Knight, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, two thousand eight, and I think two thousand nine was was X Men Origins Wolverine. Weirdly, it's one of those ones which did. When I left the cinema, I walked into mm. like W H Smiths and picked up a volume of something. But it's like it, it, so I enjoyed that on that level, the nostalgia, mm. but also like interesting ideas as you were talking about it does something interesting it also like goes really well like the pacing's really good mm. like it just keeps going just keeps going and i think again they did it well doing the kind of teen drama aging things down yeah and they actually like well not exactly like kids but they were a lot more like kids than i think was mm. solved my criticism of uh ultimate spider-man and i think what they did is they brought in like a like I think I think part of it is the the casting was really good in terms of both the X Men and the Brotherhood. Like I think yeah. the Brotherhood, even though you didn't get much time with them, the designs were really, like some of the designs yeah. were really good. And I think what it was is like and I I guess it's a thing of like the nineteen sixties X Men is Cyclops who has the, obviously the laser laser eyes, Mark Jean Grey who's a tele, telekinetic 
Iceman with the ice control, Beast, and then Angel. And what I found is obviously they kind of substituted Angel out. But I also think it's because the power, because essentially when you're trying to show off powers, Beast and Angel functionally fit in the same thing. Yeah. Like they're kind of acrobatic, kind of aerial sort of things. Except just the difference is that Angel has wings and Beast is like a is like essentially like a gorilla. He's also more interesting. Yeah. And I think substituting and just giving like a slightly better, like more diverse team in Colossus and Storm and then Wolverine, I think just makes it kind of a nice, like just a bit more interesting to kind of initially get into. Yeah. And especially I think like the one thing I will say, and I think I think what I talked about before where I think Storm's probably the less the character who I think gets the kind of worst reinvention as as it stands currently. I think what it is is Storm's African identity in the mainline universe is so tied to her character and in ways that have be that can be have dated poorly, but in some ways and because it's very kind of Chris Claremont, it's very oh no, it's not Chris Claremont, it's John Byrne, I think. But it's very white man writing Africa. Mm. Sort of and it goes into that lens, but it's that sort of thing where Storm has been this big iconic African character. And they say that she's Moroccan in from Morocco in this. And she's very still obviously black, but it's this point in time where like it is just this kind of she I guess it's like a, she's an Americanized character yeah. in this, which I think and in the same way that Halle Berry was as well. And I think that's fine, but I think it just means that like she and like she she's always the most power like one of the most powerful characters. But it's just not in the it's it's a reinvention that I think is gonna take time and I think maybe when you get into it deeper will be a yeah. more interesting character. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where uh I was also a big fan growing up of uh I remember the X Men Evolution. Mm. I used to watch that. Um so I was kind of in tune with them aging them down. I, mm. I kind of like that. I think it works very well with the whole school idea. But yeah, I guess also the rest of the cast are very, it's kind of American teen. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense them trying to fit her in with that mold, even with the brief references of her, um, either her heritage or mm. I can't remember if it's she, she, she's actively from Morocco. I can't remember. I just said she's a Moroccan car thief. Oh, is that what yeah. they say? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things where I think it kind of makes sense if they kind of Americanize her a little bit to kind mm. of blend in because everyone else is kind of, oh, I guess like, no, that's true. Uh, Colossus is Russian. But I guess it's that sort of thing. I, I But I, I guess it's that sort of thing of yeah. how do you navigate that space between playing characters as stereotypes? Because it's the thing like when Colossus Cup first is introduced and I saw something that he's like from the Soviet Union, he is the Iron Curtain essentially. Oh, you mean originally? Yeah, like, like he, he's, he's a, very he's, post. He's a hardcore communist in in his first appearances, like oh, like like as in in the nineties. Yeah, no, in in the in the seventies when he's introduced. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, seventies. Yeah. yeah, he's like a hardcore communist, and it's that sort of. But obviously, there's ways in which he's stereotyped that are still these kind of Russian stereotypes, and I feel like, and I guess you kind of get that little bit with like he's part of the Russian mafia, but I also feel like. I guess because he's still like a European character or Eurasian character, he does just kind of blend into that sort of thing where obviously Storm is very clearly the only non-white mutant in the team. Mm. That I guess means like it feels like there could be, there maybe needs to be a bit more kind of cultural kind of backing to it, but that's how it is. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think 
I think it's one of those things where um, I just I just found that it, it made sense with the dynamics. And I think mm. that, yeah, sh- sh- it might be something that, that gets, I, I don't know, you know more yeah. than me, something that gets a bit more <laughs> fleshed out later on. When, but as an introduction, very streamlined, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think that's probably, probably any kind of final thoughts before, or... No, I mean, the only thing I'll just say is, yeah, I mean, overall, I just really, really enjoyed it. I thought mm. um, I went in a little bit, no, not skeptical, but like, um, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much mm. as I did. Um, I know there's a lot of people that don't, because I, I, when I was, before I read, sometimes I like just look up what the general yeah. consensus is, because I, I think it is intriguing to have the, um, to know what, what people think about things, you mm. know what I mean? Like, um, especially since as we, we've talked a load of times that the ultimate universe is, is usually not seen very well in a lot of comic mm. book communities and fandoms. <laughs> so it was like a lot of people say that it's kind of Miller edgy and blah, blah, blah. And then I like, read it and I, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. Sweet. And yeah, it's, it was just a nice trip back to, when I first got into comics and it was just, and it was nice really reading that as an adult and kind of having that additional kind of subtext and stuff or the additional kind of backing to it. But I think so. Yeah. Our next set of issues we're going to be covering is ultimate fantastic four, which yeah. issues one through six, yeah, one through. which is going to be interesting because I feel like I think it's up to this date. Like maybe we had some kind of dis- dissenting things on Ultimate Spider-Man, but I think Ultimate Fantastic Four seems to be the yeah. one that, in terms of the introduction to the Ultimate Universe, we have probably the most different kind of opinions on on it. Yeah. So I, I'm going to be interested to kind of really interesting to get to dig into that it, with you. It's also, yeah, because I think Ultimate Spider-Man, we, we, we didn't completely disagree mm. or, or anything on anything. I think, like, maybe a little bit variations. Like, yeah. I think you probably liked it a bit more than me. Uh, I didn't hate it, so I don't have like strong opinions on it. But I think this is the one where, yeah, because again, I as I mentioned before, X Men, Fantastic Four. So we're getting into these two are interesting for me. Yeah. As I'm coming into them, not like I did with Ultimates or really with Spider Man mm. in the comics realm, um, where they're characters that I don't really know. But also, it's uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four. We for the first one was Bendis, second one's Miller. This one's kind of Bendis, Bendis and, and Mil- Miller. Yeah. Although reading it is. I think it's definitely more Bendis than Miller, but mm. it, it's interesting because I think it, it works well. Bendis Miller, Bendis and Miller, and we will, we will, we'll, the caveat will be is that Ultimates, for the first volume of Ultimates comes out before Ultimate Fantastic Four. But I think yeah. we're wanting to cover. I think Ultimates for us is just like it's. I would say I think we're both in agreement that it's probably the strongest. Oh, definitely. And what we were probably going to split because there's twelve issues because Ultimates is a mini series. So it's or maxi series. So there's twelve issues. We'll probably yep. do two episodes on Ultimates, and that'll be our kind of first Ultimates Volume One, Ultimates Volume Two, and then and then Ultimates we'll move two, on to yeah. and then we'll move on to Ultimate Spider-Man Volume Two. Yeah, and again, like we and I th- but I think that's going to be a good approach. But I think because Ultimates is one that I think we're going to have the most to talk about, and we're going to find the most interesting. Also, I the th- most out of step with general consensus because Ultimates mm. is hated yeah oh that's true and we love it and we love it but ultimately is mm. hated so i think what it'll be yeah. is so yeah we're going to approach this kind of out of continuity because i feel like we've so far we've kind of tracked the ultimate spider-man ultimate x-men are the first two ultimate marvel books yeah. and then ultimates fantastic four because i think we want to devote a bit more time to ultimates also interesting enough i think it works as well because um 
even though like Ultimates is clearly like a kind of team book with a bunch of different superheroes, it's kind mm. of weirdly the most out kind of in its own kind of thing. Yeah. Ultimates, I'm talking about Ultimates 1 and 2, not Ultimates 3 or Ultimatum yet. I don't really <laughs> know about that. I haven't read them yet. But um, these ones, are. I think they're very much doing its own thing. As in, like, mm. I could very much believe you could have told me, obviously it's not, you could have told me it was the first one and no other superheroes are around, and I would have believed yeah. you. Well, Ultimate Spider-Man's referencing people left, right, and center who don't mm. don't even exist yet. Yeah. Um, and then uh, X-Men, I think, uh, X-Men's kind of its own thing too, but but, but Ultimate... Um, I think when you've got... Fantastic Four sort of references. X-Men, yeah. it's the sort of thing of X-Men is just has always kind it's of X-Men. Set, set, set itself a kind of aside. For yeah, them. it's true. And I think but I am thinking with Ultimates, it is going to be interesting because I also feel like Ultimates shapes parts of how other things get adapted. I yeah. would be, I think in terms, not just in terms of outside media, but also is I want to see I want to see if Ultimates becomes like a template point for other Ultimate series as it kind of goes on. Yeah, and also uh, if if what's it. Um if it, Ultimate X-Men is implicitly political, mm. like ul- Ultimates is like explicitly political, yeah. like in a like in an interesting way for us. We, we like that a lot, but it's something where it definitely goes into uh, definitely more reflecting like stuff to, that was going on at the time. Mm. While I think Ultimate X-Men, as we talked about at length, is probably some of it's us bringing it to it yeah. and the context, you know, that, we're, that, 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 that it's getting released in. That one, it's definitely... It's going to be interesting. I do think the other thing I'm going to find interesting as we go is like, I feel like we've got like these issues we're going through and we're going quite in depth and like, it's that kind of one of the discussion points that kind of come up as we go through these issues. And I do want to see once we get into like, let's say ultimate X-Men 40 or ultimate Spider-Man <laughs> 63. <laughs> like yeah, Gambit what a, what a good time at the beach. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I think again, we're, I think it's at the point in time of it's probably just as we go, we'll find no interesting things or yeah oh we'll work it out i'm I'm just thinking ahead it's gonna be really fun (laughs) yeah yeah it either get it'll either get shorter or longer it's it's one of those things not sure we'll get much mileage out of some some of the annuals that are just like these guys Mm. had a good time they went on a date (laughs) (laughs) yeah no or honestly there's always like little weird little mini series i told you it was ultimate adventures which is like a batman and robin parody book apparently it was a bet (laughs) i googled that but we were talking about it but like I looked it up and apparently it was a bet between three creators, like which one will sell the most. Oh, and it was tr- Ultimate of Adventures. There was like a, a Marvel book, a Captain Marvel book or something. Oh, I think I know. And, and there one. was another one that was really dreadful. Yeah. That and sold it, oddly well. And it wasn't even close. I think I think it was one just streaks ahead. But it, it, it is kind of weird that apparently it was just came out of a bet as well. So it's like, other than talking about that bet where we'll go more in depth... <laughs> But it was, I'm other than the brief Wikipedia pool, but yeah. Well, at least that one you can we can use it to talk about Batman. Yeah, I've, I love Batman. We <laughs> talking about Batman? Am I allowed? Um, All right. Anyway, thank you everyone for joining us today on the Ultimate Podcast. Um, we're still working out our social medias and that sort of thing, but once once we do that, we'll be that'll be follow us and find us online and that sort of side of things. And yeah. Hopefully see you guys at our next episode. Also, is it still going to be X or? (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll catch us later. Peace.